Welcome to week number two in our series called Change Your World. Uh, we kicked off this series last week and uh, I've heard a lot of great feedback about it as we're talking really practically about how God wants to work through your life and work through my life to actually change our world. And, and our verse kind of uh, that we're looking at, this our key verse, uh, is actually found a couple verses in Matthew chapter 5 and I want to go right there uh, tonight. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14 it's Jesus says you are the world's light a city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see Jesus is speaking to all of his followers and saying this is really what he expects of us that you and I are are supposed to be a city on a hill glowing in the night for all to see don't hide your light let it shine for all let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they will praise your heavenly father and so that's god's plan to change your world to change my world is that people first of all we have to understand people are watching us and then the second thing is this they're watching us and God wants us to do our good deeds, show that we're different in this world, different from those that don't know Christ, and then they'll say, hey, wait a minute, what is different about you? Tell, tell me exactly what's going on. What's really different about you? And that's the opportunity. How do we change our world? One life at a time, through the influence that you and I have, the places that God has put us and, and really stationed us in this life, that God wants to leverage the influence that all of us really have. And we talked about this last week, and, and I shared with you seven streams of influence or, or seven mountains of influence. And I'll just go through those real quickly. It, it's not on the, the PowerPoint for us, but just real quickly, there's the church stream, uh, and, and then there's the governmental stream. Arts and entertainment, that's one stream where you have sports and all kinds of things underneath that. Uh, then you have education stream, business stream, and under business you have science and you have technology as well. And then the media stream, and then the seventh stream is the family stream. The family stream, that there's so much influence that we have actually in our families. And those seven streams have been identified uh, many, many years ago, a couple decades ago actually, as really strategic streams and that God wants to work through those. Almost all culture can be broken down into those seven streams. Those are the main catalysts in culture and influences in culture. And isn't it interesting that God has placed almost every single one of us in one of those seven streams? And so uh, we started talking about how to really leverage that influence to change our world for Jesus Christ. And I want to put something up right now, an email address, and this isn't, probably isn't going to be hard for you to remember, cyw at valleychristianchurch.net. And I want you to write that down because this is something that I'm, I'm working on behind the scenes right now, and that is CY, change your world Real easy to remember, isn't it? CYW at valleychristianchurch.net. And what I'd like to ask you to do real practically is if you identify yourself in one of these seven streams, is to actually just email me at CYW, valleychristianchurch.net. In the fall, and I know we're coming, Memorial Day weekend is here, and, and we're coming into the summertime, but in the fall, I want to, to organize a number of meetings with people in our church that fall into these seven streams of influence, and just for the purpose, as we've talked about before last week, of how can we help you where you are? What can we do to help if you find yourself in the business stream? 
What can we do to help if you're, if you're in the government stream of influence and culture or arts and entertainment or education, business, media, or, or then in family as well? How can we help? So if you're interested in being a part of that as we meet together and, and really strategize how we can really impact our, our community, how are we going to do that? Just by helping them. What can we do to help? Asking those in our community, what can we do to help? If you're interested in being a part of that, just email me at cyw at valleychristianchurch.net. We're going to compile those lists, and then when the fall comes and, and school starts again and we all kind of get back in the whole rhythm of life once again, uh, we're going to be organizing those, and, and we'll be contacting you about that. I'm real excited about it because this is God's strategy for touching the whole entire world through you, through me. And most people, we don't realize really how influential we actually are. But today I want to help you to discover your sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence. That's what the title of the message is, My Sphere of Influence. And I want to look at one story in, in, in the Bible, and I want to give you the background before we go there uh, to really set this up. But the reality is we find this over and over and over all throughout, particularly the New Testament, but also there's some key, key stories in the Old Testament also that are great examples of what we're talking about here tonight, this whole idea of sphere of influence. And let me give you the background of this story. We're going to be looking at today Acts chapter chapter 16. And what's happened here in Acts chapter 16 is Paul and Silas are, are, are two uh, apostles that, that God is using that's spreading the, the word of, of Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel. And, and they're actually in a town at this time, and there's a little girl in the town that uh, actually was a slave girl. And, and her owners were using her to be a fortune teller. She would tell uh, the future for people, and, and, and this wasn't by the Holy Spirit at all. In fact, we read the story. It was actually a demonic power that was working through her. And she was following around Paul and Silas, and she was actually telling them, everybody, listen to these two men. What they're telling you is the truth. These are servants of the Lord. And Paul got ticked off with this. And, you know, kind of like I would if someone kept interrupting me when I'm preaching. And, and so uh, Paul finally got ticked off with her, and he turned to her, and he said, come out in the name of Jesus. And this demonic spirit came right out of her. And her owners were indignant. They were so upset because they knew, there goes the money-making machine right there. And so they literally took them, and they began to beat Paul and Silas, and they threw them into prison. That's a bad day at the office, no doubt about it. And so that's where we want to pick up the story right here. Paul and Silas are in prison because of preaching the gospel. And it's all going to come down to, and this is where I'm leading you to right now, one word. And this word that we're going to land on is so powerful, so strategic for you and for me, that, that we really need to look at this whole story to really recognize how important this is. So here it is now. We're picking up the story. They're in prison for doing something good, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, look at what it says. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Think about that. What would you do if you were in prison? Would you be singing hymns to God? Would you be praying? Jesus said, let your light shine that men might see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. We just looked at it. They're in prison, but they're not acting the way everyone else is acting in prison. 
They're singing, they're praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, what are they doing? What's going on with those guys? What are those guys doing? What are they up to? Look at what it says. It goes on and says, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Not just Paul and Silas's, everyone's. See, God doesn't want to just work in your life. God wants to work in your life because when he works in your life, there's a ripple effect, just like here. Not just Paul and Silas. God could have easily just shaken, and that Paul and Silas' chains flew off, but all the prisoners' chains flew off. God wants to work in your life, in my life, and through my life, and through your life to impact those around us. All the prisoners' chains flew off, and they were loose. And then it goes on and it says, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, because this jailer understood that he was going to be whipped and beaten because there was a jailbreak on his watch and, and probably, quite possibly, be executed himself because he allowed this to happen. And so he's like, I'm going to save everybody the time. He pulls the sword out, and he's about to commit suicide. And look at what happens. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Not just Paul and Silas, all the prisoners remained right where they were. Completely loose, completely free, but nobody ran for it. The jailer called for the lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why? He's like, wait a minute. I heard you singing. Everybody heard you singing. Prisoners don't sing praises to God. All of a sudden, earthquake, chains drop off. Everyone should be running for the door, but instead, everyone is right in place. Look what happens next. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? How about that? He saw in their responses and their reactions to what was happening all around them, there's something different about you, and I want it. That's influence. That's the same way that people are watching you and watching me, right where we live, right where we work, right where we shop, right where we play. They're watching us. What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus you will be saved, watch this now, you and your household. That's the key word right there, household. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean before I tell you what that does mean, okay? What this doesn't mean is, to this jailer, if you receive Jesus, all your sins are going to be forgiven. Yes, it means that. But it doesn't mean, and just because yours are, everybody in your family, their sins are going to be forgiven too, even though they have not repented of their sins. That's not what that means. This is one of these areas where in, in our English uh, translation of the New Testament, we get a little tripped, off beca- uh, tripped up because English is kind of a general language. Greek is a very, very specific language. And, and so the best that, that English translators can translate this word is household. 
But that is not exactly what this word means in the original language of the New Testament, which is Greek. What does it mean when it says you uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household? This word in the Greek is the Greek word oikos. Oikos. And, And this means household, but it means a whole lot more than household. What does oikos mean? In English, household is understood as a nuclear family, you know, father, mother, children, or, or, or grandparents, or, you know, it's the nuclear household, everyone living under one roof. But in the Greek, however, its usage broader, and it encompasses, watch this now, this word oikos, you and your whole oikos will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your whole oikos will be saved. What's an oikos in Greek? It's your family, it's your neighbors, it's your coworkers, it's your friends, it's those with whom you come in regular contact with. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul and Silas tell this jailer, and God will transform your life and your sphere of influence, your oikos, That's what your sphere of influence is. Your sphere of influence is your oikos. Your whole sphere of influence is who God also wants to reach through your life. Mind-blowing, isn't it? So many times we think so small when God says, I'm up to so much bigger. So much bigger. This This is what I've heard referred to oftentimes as the oikos principle. The oikos principle. And so let me ask you right now as we're beginning to think uh, along these lines here in, in Acts chapter 16 about my sphere of influence, who's in your oikos? Who is it that God has placed in your oikos? Generally, the understanding in Greek is this, that these are, they've done all kinds of, sociologists have actually done studies about this, eight to 15 people are in your oikos. Eight to 15 people your neighbors, your co-workers, your local barista, your grocery store clerks, your parents on your kids' sports teams, your hairdresser, your professor, your physical therapist, your roommate, your business associate, your mechanic, your waiter at your favorite restaurant, your dog groomer, your gardener, your carpool buddies, your dentist. My dentist is not in my arc, Oakley, so I'll tell you that now. Who's in your oikos? Your sphere of influence. Generally, it's about 8 to 15 people, and I'll tell you why in just a minute, how that's actually defined. But, but my sphere of influence, let's talk about this now. How do we identify our sphere of influence? Let, let's look at it again. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your oikos, you and your household. You and your sphere of influence will be saved. God wants to do so much more than just in my life. He wants it to reach and permeate and influence those around me. And the same with you as well. And so how do we begin to identify what our oikos is? Here's the first thing. Look at who my people are. Who are your people? Who are your peeps? Who are your peeps? Chances are your peeps are your oikos. That's the first thing. Who are my people? Who are my people? The people in your life 
that are not there by accident. God has placed those people in your life. Here's the way that generally we've defined, or sociologists have defined this idea of oikos. If you spend a total, listen to this now, if you spend a total each week of more than one hour together, and let me just just make this more specific, one hour together, face-to-face, communicating. That person's in your oikos. One hour together, face, that doesn't mean watching TV. That, that doesn't mean, you know, uh, riding in a car. That, it, it means face-to-face communication. The fact about the matter is, if we define it that way, which sociologists have, that, that sphere, the main sphere of influence is the way that sociologists talk about it. Generally, it's amazing, 8 to 15 people at the most. Now, that being said, let me just throw this statistic out, which is pretty startling. Did you know the average father in the United States of America spends seven minutes a day with their children? Seven minutes a day. Multiply that by seven, that's 49 minutes a week. Majority of the fathers in America, their own children are not in their oikos. They're not influencing their own children. How sad is that? That's for another day. Seven minutes a day. That's for another week. That's for another sermon series. One hour a week of influence. One hour a week. Who is in your oikos? Who are your people? In Mark chapter 5, verse 19, it's interesting, after a great miracle that Jesus performed, look at what he tells the people. He says, go home to your family and friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus always said, go home to your oikos. Go home to your family and friends, your oikos, and begin to influence them. And this is all we have to do. Sometimes we get really uptight. You know, what am I going to say? What if someone asks me a tough question? This is all you have to do. Just go, go to your family and friends. Tell them what the Lord's done for you. That's all. When time's right, just tell them what the Lord's done for you. You, you don't have to know every word of this. You don't have to have a degree in theology. Just, just tell them what the Lord's done for you. Because you have influence in their life anyway, 8 to 15 people, because of the amount of time that you spend with them. And so just go home and tell them what the Lord has done for you. First is my people. Here's the second thing, my place. My place. God has put you, and he has put me in a place on purpose. He's been purposeful. You know, so many times we, we're just like, I'm searching for a job, I'm searching for a job. We're searching for the job where God put us. God placed us. I, I, I'm so thankful God placed my family here at Valley Christian Church. He placed us here. We ne- when Susie and I got married almost 25 years ago, I had no intention whatsoever of returning to hopeless jungles. No way, no way was I ever going to live in hopeless jungles. But God placed me here. I had other opportunities, other offers. I've had other opportunities and offers since. God's placed us here. God's placed us here. I didn't find a job. God placed us here. I didn't find a place to minister. God placed us here. So where has he placed you? God put you in that place that you're at right now with that boss you have with those coworkers you have, with those clients you have, for a purpose. Let me just put it this way. 
Your vocation is your ministry location. Your vocation is your ministry location. What's your place? Where's God placed you? The people? My people? And then my place. Psalm 90, verse 17, puts it this way. Look at how concerned God is about your, your work and mine, where we work. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God has placed you in a position, and he wants to establish your good reputation in that place. Why? So that he, through your life, can influence other people in that oikos. First, it's my people. Then it's my place. And then the third way that we identify our oikos is this, my passion. What is it you're passionate about? What is it you're passionate about? What's your thing? What's, what's your thing that when you just start talking about, you just get all fired up inside? What's your thing? You, you know, uh, I, I've actually been homesick all week long, but I didn't have any doubt that I was gonna be able to give this message you know why? This is my thing. <laughs> this is my thing. I get all fired up inside. I, I get out of the sick bed and like, that's my thing. I get fired up. I'm passionate about Jesus. That's one of the things I'm passionate about. In fact, he's the thing I'm the most passionate about is Jesus. Now, if I had to go out and plant flowers, that's a whole other story. I'm still in bed <laughs> sleeping. If I had to, I don't know, Go out and dig a ditch or, or something like that. No, I'm sorry. Can't do it. But, but, but I'm passionate, so it, so it makes me come alive. The reason you're moved towards some things in life and you're not moved towards others is because God wired you that way. That's your passion. And you put your people and your place and your passion together, that's your oikos. That's your sphere of influence. That's the way God created you and formed you in your mother's womb. Because he loves you that much and he loves those where he placed you, the people around you, and he gave you that passion where you just come alive and you share with them. Look at this. Maybe you've heard this verse before. Really, really cool. Psalm 37, verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, I used to think that, like, if I'm, like, all happy about Jesus, he's going to give me what I want. That's not what that says. You, you know, it doesn't say, be, be really happy and excited about Jesus, and he'll give you whatever you want. That's not what that says. That's misinterpreted. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will put his desires for you in your heart. And you know what? His desires are always met and fulfilled. Now, here's the crazy thing. You see that word, delight? I had the tech boys, I, I had them highlight that. Here's the reason why. That word in Hebrew, do you know what that, Hebrew, the, the Hebrew language is a graphic language. It's a pictorial language. Do you know what this word in Hebrew means? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's a picture of a bride preparing herself for her husband on her wedding day. Wow. How about that? Prepare yourself for him. 
He's the focus of everything. And you know what? He'll give you the desires that he has for you in your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so, three easy ways that we can identify our oikos. My people, my place, and my passion. Now what do we do with that? Let me, let me just bring this right down real practically where the rubber meets the road for us to just walk this out over the next week, okay? Here it is. How do we make a difference? How, how are we going to do that? How are we going to make a difference? Now, we have two more messages in this series, and we're going to be building on these, but I want to give you something really, really practical of how to make a difference in your world right where you are. Three ways that we make a difference, three main ways that we can make a difference, that God wants to use that influence in that oikos to really impact those around us. Here's the first way, through our manners. Through our manners. Through our, the way that we conduct ourselves the way that we live, the, the way that we talk, the way that we communicate, that, that we value people when we speak to them. You, you know, there's a big difference uh, between you can say the right thing the wrong way, and it's wrong. This was a tone of voice. Just through our mannerisms. I mean, what, what, what do you do when they serve you cold French fries at the restaurant? Do you hit the roof like you're King Henry VIII or something? <laughs> or do you realize, you know, that server, that's not their fault. Hey, listen, I know, I know this, in your, but these are cold. Could I, is there any way I could get some hot ones? How do you respond? Do our manners. People are watching us. And they're watching when you leave that little tip. That, 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 that's so belittling, next to nothing. And then you get in that car and you drive off with that Valley Christian Church magnet on the back. They're watching that. <laughs> They're watching that. And, and so our manners, through the way that we conduct, now here's the thing, all of us blow it, all of us mess up. Here's the thing, don't make a bad play worse. You, you blow it, you mess up, Here's the thing that folks that don't know Jesus don't do. They never go back and make it right. There's nothing more powerful than going back and saying, I totally messed up. I blew it. That was not my finest moment. I'm better than that, and I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And boy, you want to talk about the light just shining. Unbelievable. Do our manners. Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 put it this way. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Man, it doesn't get any practic more practical than that, does it? Make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way that we act towards outsiders. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12, I love this because this gives us hope, especially if we've blown it like I have several times, many times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, make it your ambition. What does that mean? We're not there yet. Make it your goal. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, did you know the Bible tells you to mind your own business? 
How about that? That's biblical. So next time you tell somebody, mind your own business. That's in the book, all right? No, that's directed to you. It's not to anybody else. Take it personally. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. Why? Just so they respect us? No, because God wants to work through your life and my life to influence theirs, to change our world. Make it your ambition. Make it your goal. For some of us, nothing could be more practical and more honest than today us saying, you know what, that hadn't been my goal. I'm going to make it my goal. I'm going to make it my ambition to lead a quiet life that they'll see my daily life and win the respect of outsiders. The first way we make a difference is through our manners. The second way is, is our moment when we recognize this is my moment. This is my moment right now. This is my moment. God strategically brings people across your path and my path. It's not by accident. This is your moment. Last week I told a story about a moment that I, I'm so glad I didn't miss because I think I've missed thousands of them with a young man that I coached in high school. You can check out the video. I'm not going to tell the story again. This is my moment. This is my moment. Make sure you don't miss your moment. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, it says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. It's no coincidence with God. He planned it. What a great way to wake up every morning. God, don't let me miss my moments today. Don't let me miss the moments today that you have for me. Listen, let, let me just, you know, let me just make this real practical, some of these moments. How, how, how about this? Christmas comes, and I know many of you own businesses, and, and you throw Christmas parties, and, and, and that's fantastic, and I hope to get an invitation. And, uh, and, and you have these Christmas parties for everyone on the job, everyone in your office. What, what would it be like? Because they know you, they see you. It, maybe you hadn't been doing really great in terms of just, just being someone that they'd respect on the job, but you're making it your ambition, starting now. And you're at this Christmas party, and, 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 and you're the boss, and, and, and not to be awkward or anything, but at one moment you just kind of just say, listen, we're having such a great time here. I just want to say this. We're celebrating Christmas and all that. At the same time, I want you to understand, I'm celebrating something more than Santa Claus. I'm celebrating my Savior who was born. And he means more to me than anything else. And he has changed my life. And if any of you are ever interested in that, I don't want you to feel awkward, but if you're ever interested in hearing my story, I'd love to share it with you. Merry Christmas. And then just go on. Don't miss a moment. What are the moments that are waiting for you this week? What are the moments on Memorial Day that God's going to bring people across your path? Don't miss your moment. Don't miss the moment that he's made for you. We make a difference through our manners, through our moments, and the final thing is this, through our message. Through our message. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
And like I said, you don't have to have a degree in theology. You don't have to have that. When, when someone asks you, hey, hey, what's different about you? Why don't you talk the way that everybody else talks? Why, why don't you go out with everybody after work to, you know, tie one on? Why don't you do that? You don't have to say, well, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 1. Real simple, just basically what I just said. You know why? <laughs> Maybe you see something a little different in me. It's because of Jesus. Because he's my Savior, he's my Lord. He has touched my life and he's changing my life. And, and I'm not perfect, I'm never going to be, but I'm better than I used to be. If you got a moment, I'd love to tell you my story of what I've experienced, how God has touched my life and changed my life. That's it. Real simple. Real, real simple. And, and you know what I've found so many times? More times than not, people will reject the book. People will reject a book. But when you say, let me share with you my story of what God's done for me, that's a whole nother thing. Because see, Greg, I don't know all that book stuff, but Greg, I know you. I've seen you. I've seen how you respond. I've seen you go through some really tough stuff. I want to hear what you have to say. That's the story. That's what the Bible calls a testimony. That's your story. And so that's the way that we make a difference. Our manner, our moment, and our message. And so right now, I just want to pray. I want to pray and I want to close this message because you may be here right now and you say, you know what? I want to experience Jesus in my life like that. I, I haven't taken that step before. I, I've never, I'm, I'm like that jailer. What must I do to be saved? And the answer is right there in Scripture. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so I just want to pray right now. I want to pray for those that might be here that have never done that before, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would do that right now in this moment. Because here's the thing, it's your moment right now. It's your moment, just like it was that jailer's moment. And then I want to pray for the rest of us. I want to pray for the rest of us that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's forgiven us of our sins. And he's working and he's transforming us by the power of his Holy Spirit inside of us. And I want to pray that God would just give us courage through the Holy Spirit inside of us. That we would make it our ambition to live a different kind of life, a contrasting life. That our light would shine. That we'd recognize these moments. And that we would be prepared to give the message, the reason for the hope that's within us when it seems like we should be hopeless based on the circumstances. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, for every person here in the hearing of my voice right now, Lord, that would be like that jailer saying, what, what must I do to be saved? And Lord, that response, so simple and yet so profound, so easy it seems, and yet so powerful. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and 
you'll be saved, you and your whole household. And Father, I pray right now in this moment for those that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive them of their sins, realizing we'll never be good enough to earn that, but it's a free gift from God. And we need to, by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, open up that gift of salvation and receive forgiveness from God. That today would be the day that we do that. Father, I pray for those that, Lord, we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and he has forgiven us and he's working in our lives, but Lord, we realize that he wants to do more than just in our lives. He wants to work through the sphere of influence, our oikos. Lord, that we'd make a difference. We'd make it our ambition starting today, perhaps for the first time, that we'd allow our manners, the way we conduct our lives, to be a light contrasting light with those in our oikos, that we would seize the moment, Lord, knowing that, that in our hearts we make plans and we plan our course, but you determine our steps. And Lord, we'd be prepared with a message, a message of what you've done, even if it's just been for a few days, what you've begun to do in our lives, and we would be willing and able and excited and prepared to share with everyone who asks us for the reason or the hope that we have in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.